I have Steph Williams O'Brien on the podcast today. Steph is a friend. She's a pastor. She's a writer. And she has a book coming out in September called Stay Curious, How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith. And uh, I've seen some of this book. I love it. And you're going to love this podcast interview uh, because Steph really is. She's very refreshingly honest and very helpful in her writing. So uh, enjoy the podcast and then go out and pre-order her book. Steph Williams O'Brien, Stay Curious. Steph Williams O'Brien, how are you? <laughs> Good. Here we are at like a seminary. We're, we are at we are at a seminary. We are at a seminary, which I've never recorded a podcast in a seminary. And I have to admit, it makes me a little nervous. But I'm with Why? you because I don't know. And I, I feel like I say things that... Uh, you know, are there mics or I don't know. It's just silly. <laughs> you know what? I think it's it's because whenever you do autocorrect mm. accidentally with the word seminary, it's cemetery. <laughs> yes. And that's what creeps you out. It totally does. And that's why people don't record podcasts <laughs> at seminaries because so, yeah, there's just, yeah. typically we're so old school around here that it's like a cemetery. So right. they wouldn't have technology as such. Good but Lord. here we are. Well, here we are. And thank you because um, this is fun. You're going to interview me in a little bit. Yeah. I'm interviewing you. So um, and and so you have written this book called "Stay Curious: How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith." And we've been on a journey together through pastoring yeah. and through writing. We've gone back and forth. And um, but I want to. You're such. You're a person who is involved with many things. You you box. You uh, pastor <laughs> not, not a church. Actual people, but yeah. No, I mean, I've, if you training, on, training. on Instagram, you're, you're awesome. And you're, and, and, <laughs> and so for you to choose to write a book, yeah, it, to me, it seems like this probably wasn't this deep desire you've always had since you were four years old, because you have plenty to do and plenty of things that are pressing on you. Why, why was it time now for you to write a book? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, you were right. I am not, I was not wondering, should I write a book when I was four years old? I think I've always written a lot when I was a kid. I remember being that kid that would write little short stories about yeah. nothing, but it wasn't, you know, future authors of America, like some, like some kids are and, and like many current authors were, you know, I don't know if, would you say that about yourself? I, I was not, I did not dream of writing a book when I was young. Yeah. No. Interesting. But I do know people who it was such a, it was like a, you know, decades and decades reality of a dream that came into reality yeah. when they did publish for the first time. Now, this may be different between you and me. If someone slid something across the table to me and said, you could be a full-time author, if that's what you wanted to do, here's here's the money to do it. And so I, I might take that. You might consider yeah. it. Whereas I don't think you would. No, yeah. no, I wouldn't. Yeah. There's lots of different reasons because of that. Um, but I think one of the reasons for me would be I'm just so extroverted. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> In some ways, the miracle that this book got written was that I was able to sit in a room by myself for that long and actually produce <laughs> many pages of writing. Yeah. That's the miracle. You know, there's a lot, every book, in some ways, every book's a miracle right. that it happened. But for me, it's the extroversion reality that I was able to actually sit down and write for that long. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a lifelong dream. Um, I think the best way to put it is that I, I, one of the things I think about almost all the time for various reasons in my life is how to be a good steward of who I am as a person mm -hmm. and encourage other people to do that too. And so writing for me feels like a tool, like an, a tool to do what I feel called to do. And if it doesn't 
feel like that tool, you know, if you have a, if you've got a, a wrench, but you need a screwdriver, then switch tools. But as long as it seems like, well, I need a wrench, I have a wrench, I can, I can do that. Then I want to, to, to use it. And other people's works in writing have been tools that I've said to people, Hey, pick this up, you know, your books and my friend Joe's books, you know, I know the person, I know the work, and I know that it could be a tool that unlocks something in their life. And so for me, the the commitment to spend this much time and energy and investment is I think this is going to be a tool for me to do the things I feel called to do. And 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 I wrote down a bunch of conversations that I've had. Right. And I saw those conversations as fruitful and helpful for people. And so I thought if they were written down for the people who I will never talk to, of course, some of the folks that I talked to were teaching me something. So then those folks will go and talk to people and right, be right. a blessing to them or help people to unpack things. But what I think there's something powerful about the written word that's different than conversation. Yeah. And it, it, it broadens the conversation. I agree. And I also think, I mean, I, I see you as prolific on one sense in terms of the work that you do. Pa again, pastoring, podcasting. Uh, you do a great podcast with Joe Saxton called Lead Stories. Yeah. Uh, and you coach leaders. So there's all these things that you do. And I see, maybe, maybe I should ask you the question. <laughs> the book is like one of the resources that you want to off, offer people yeah. on their faith journey. So that, honestly, even though you love meeting with people, <laughs> there are times where you can say, I'm going to give you my book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that you I know, would say I know that, someone but, who wrote about yeah, this. Yeah. It was me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think even your publisher, Fortress, who, mm -hmm. who we share, they decided to make it into a hard hardback a yeah. hardcover and which is a is actually quite a huge compliment because what it means is we think this book is going to be an evergreen like like we think mm. this this book is going to last and so i think that should be confirmation for you that yep this is a resource that people are going to need yeah i mean you know? under the hood of the writing world that was like a terrifying moment for me because i thought wait that makes it more expensive right <laughs> <laughs> no, no. People are gonna buy it. <laughs> yeah but um you know when one of the things they said to me that i thought was was helpful was I think that we want it to be hardcover because it does communicate this longevity. And the whole second part of the book has these experiments in it, these yep. practices. Yep. And they said, I think our hunch is, is that people are going to think that's, these are great experiments. I'm not going to do them all now, but I want to remember this and come back to them later. Yeah. And I think that would make sense. I, I'm not advocating in the book that people do all of them maybe right, ever. But they're, they're available. Yeah. If they want they're available. To. Where did I read that? Oh yeah. You know, and I think the, the, my new understanding, I didn't know this, I guess, brand new. The hardcover communicates the yeah. reference concept even. Right. Like you might come oh. back to this. Okay. And yeah. I was like, oh, interesting. Um, so, so they were they were helping me calm down when yes, I felt like, yes. wait a second, because that wasn't my decision. Yeah. But yeah, I did feel, I felt honored by it for sure. And um, that I also wondered about how they'll be heavier as I <laughs> traipse through airports yes. with them. But yes, I, I'm, I'm really honored and yeah excited and uh my my editor lisa was just so incredible she made me sound a lot smarter than i am i think and um she's got a degree in theology and a master's in theology and i i didn't realize how necessary and helpful that would be for me yeah because i very much come just fl flows out of me and there's yeah. a few times where she said is this what you meant to say yes. and i don't think i was like borderline heretical right. But who knows? She definitely caught a couple things that were like, that's not what you meant. And I thought, thank you so much. <laughs> well, no, I think you bring up a good point because I think I'm the same way in a certain sense that I will sort of 
internally think I'm being super clear and sequential in how I'm trying to present this idea, exactly. but I'm actually assuming people are picking up more than they actually are, you know? Right, right, right. And so I think a good editor helps you go, I see where you're going, Yeah. but let me help you get there a little a little quicker, a little better, uh, well, a little absolutely. more thoroughly. And she's thoroughly and also taking out words and things that are just repetitive and right. unnecessary. So, but yes, back to what you were saying about feeling like it's a tool for the people in my life that yeah. I get to spend either face-to-face time with or speak to in groups and things. I absolutely think that. And you know, people who know me really well have said that it's interesting that I chose this topic as the first one to write about. And I agree. I do think it's kind of an interesting, interesting topic because people who know me would would say that I'm very action oriented mm-hmm. and what does it look like to join into justice and to participate in in kingdom things and to be a part of the renewal of all things very actively and I that is my deepest heart so when you say questions and doubts and contemplative figuring out your you know your worldview and all that kind of stuff the reason I think that that came to the surface for me was this precludes the opportunity to really fully put your whole heart into an action right. And I don't think it's you need to figure out your faith stuff if you're going to act on it. Absolutely not. You can definitely, you can step in with full questions and doubts and not having a clue and still participate in some awesome stuff. But there is an ability to do that more wholeheartedly when you come to what in the book I call the far side of complexity, where you've come to a spot where you say, whoa, this this faith stuff, this God of the universe, mystic, mystic reality is more than I'll ever comprehend. And I'm coming to a sense of making friends with that tension. And there's a different place that you can live into that those those that sense of purpose and meaning and justice and and being a part of those those realities, I think, when you come from that. So that's really why that felt it almost is like a, hey, okay, here, let's do this so that we can do these other things. Mm-hmm. Let's not stop doing them. But I can see this is causing some maybe feeling paralyzed a little bit. And that's been thousands of conversations, honestly, at this point with so many people is that I want to be about this these things that I know that I care about and I think maybe God put on my heart, but I don't know what I think about God. But uh, I'm stuck, you know. And yeah. so I just so badly want people to be unstuck so that they can step fully into the things that they feel made to do and made to be about and the things that break their heart, you know, and that I would say breaks God's heart. Right. And if they don't know if they believe that right now, that's okay. But let's let's do it. Let's go for it. Don't run from it. Well, that's well said. And and I think um, it makes me wonder, did you have people in your life at formational times that gave you permission to really ask the questions that then led you into a firmer conviction about what you were convicted about? Yeah. You know what? I It's a good question because I don't, when I when you ask it, I don't have names that pop into my head, but I do feel that there was an environment that that gave me that space. I think in part my the friends that I had at the time, some of the mentors and leaders, I don't have a memory of somebody saying, hey, it's okay if you have doubts. But I don't also have memories, I don't have any strong memories of somebody saying it's a sin to doubt or you're out if you if you have right. questions or you need to I, I I have a couple of different environments that I felt that in, but nobody that I deeply, deeply respected, but enough where I know and saw and I have now seen how common it is for communities of faith or family systems to say, hey, we believe in believing, so get on board or get off. Yeah. Um, I didn't have that in a super strong way, but enough to know what that feels like. 
but then enough community space that gave me that freedom to discover that I really appreciated. But it is interesting because there wasn't like a person that said yeah, green yeah. light, go for it, you know, but there was a number of different people who, who were willing to hold that space. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a few different memories of people really shutting me down that I mentioned in the book, but I think compared to some of the stories that people have told me of how, how yeah. just painful that's been, um, I haven't had to go through that, but I have so much compassion for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that's interesting, uh, that it wasn't like modeled for you or you weren't given permission. So it makes me wonder knowing you. Yeah. So, I mean, you're a, you are such a great leader, um, and a strong leader. Mm. And I bet, I mean, I haven't, I didn't know you as a young leader, but I, I'm going to say, this is what I wonder. Then you say true or false and then okay. vamp on it. Okay. <laughs> but I wonder if you've learned because you're such a strong leader, you've learned that you need to get, you need to give people permission to question doubt and be intention. Um, because otherwise the only people are, that are following you are sort of the, the sort of no brainer autocrat lovers that are just going to yeah. do what you say. And that's boring anyway. That's totally so boring. <laughs> do you think you, you sort of intuitively had to learn that as a leader? I think I, I learned it as a leader. I think I watched my, particularly my dad do that as a leader. Um, so, so I don't have memories of my dad saying, Hey, it's okay if you face questions or doubts. And mm -hmm. he passed away when I was 17. But I, I, I remember watching and also hearing him process mostly with my mom the the feelings that people had around him knowing he was a strong leader and feeling kind of drawn into his gravity and him wanting them to have their own centrifugal force, right. you know, and trying to wrestle through that. Yeah. And so that's always been there for me. Like watch out for people feeling like they can't find their sense of self. Ooh, and yeah. I've not always been able to do that perfectly. Um, I try to notice that in relationships and be able to say, hey, you know what? You need to process this with somebody else because right. I feel like, you know, but I do think some of it was trial and error, yep, yep. <laughs> trial and trial and succeed and then trial and error. Yeah. Um, and then other times, yeah, just kind of having to really try to turn up the notch of paying attention to how someone's agency is in those mm -hmm. conversations. And um, so one of the things I say to people often is, I don't really think you need a pastor's permission to do right, blank. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but if you need that, yeah, <laughs> here it is, right, you know, right. and it's never a need, but a, a feeling if someone really feels, Hey, I need to, to have that permission or, or the, the maybe take a different topic. So one of the things that I know that many pastors or clergy people have really failed at is validating people's emotional health and their struggles with mental illness right. and uh, things like that. Or maybe another topic would be uh, clergy members or spiritual leaders telling people to stay in abusive relationships. Right. So if you're somebody who had either of those experiences, you might have had friends, family, spouse, multiple therapists tell you it's okay to get help. It's okay to take medication. It's okay to get away from that abuser. But when it was the clergy person who told you that that wasn't okay, mm -hmm. maybe you don't need, but you kind of need yeah. a clergy person to say, I'm sorry that uh -huh. happened to you yeah. and you can get out of that situation. Or I'm sorry that someone made you feel that you just needed to pray away your anxiety. Yeah. But as a clergy person who I don't think you need permission, I'm saying if you need a permission slip to get that therapist's phone number, here it is. <laughs> if you need yeah. permission to say that prayer and mental and, and therapy and, and medication can work together in harmony, I'm telling you that. If you need to hear that from somebody in my role. Yeah. 
plenty of people are like, I don't, I don't give, right, <laughs> I don't right, care what a right, pastor says, and right. that's fine. I don't blame them. No, at but all. I think you're right. Some people really do, and it, and it's not, it's not making you more important than you no, are. Hopefully but not. it's it's acknowledging, I think, intuiting. Oh, you've been hurt by a clergy person, so maybe this is an opportunity for it to be redeemed. Yeah, and just a space um, for healing that yeah. people have to choose to step into. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is in. Yeah. Um. So I get to be a a space for that. Um. For sure. Type of thing. So that, another thing that really influenced me when I was in seminary at the seminary that we're sitting in right now, um, except not in this building, but when I was in seminary, they used the term a lot of a crucible. So mm. the idea that there's a crucible environment, this phrase taken from science, I think, in a lot of ways of the environment doesn't change while there's a chemical reaction happening on the inside of it. And I think the church in its best days is a crucible. Mm. And I think communities and families, mm -hmm. but we just don't have a lot of best days. <laughs> so right, that's right. really hard. But I do think that I have experienced a, a wealth of crucible environments where for the most part, as I had chemical reactions, if I, I had emotional, spiritual reactions going on in my mind and heart, the the environments stayed stable around me. Mm -hmm. And that that's made a huge difference in my life. Yeah. And that's been multiple people and environments, including my family system, yeah. that created that kind of space for me. And And that's really rare, really rare. And I want us as people to continue to try to pursue spaces of those crucible environments for people, especially our young people. Right. So I think about, you know, those kids right now, like your kid's age. I'm like, mm -hmm. man, mm -hmm. I, I've become pretty convinced at this point, we always are talking about the nuns and the duns, right? The people who are saying, probably some of you listening to this, hey, I'm done with organized religion. Right. I'm, you know, forget it. And I don't blame any of those people. Um, but I wonder if, I'm pretty convinced at this point that it's less that people are saying, hey, I have a lot of doubts and questions, so I'm out. And more that people didn't feel like there was space for their questions and doubts, and that's why they're out. Right. And that's on kind of us, people like us, and the people that have preceded us. And it's on us to say, are we going to create that crucible environment for these younger people coming up and for each other? Mm -hmm. Are we going to do that? Mm -hmm. And it's way easier to talk about than to do. Right. Well, I think it requires a humility and lack of defensiveness to yeah, let geez. and and okay so I'm 48 and you know I can't I can't remember how old you are Steph but 36 um, 36 I'm not shy about it <laughs> we have been um, around long enough to, yeah. to 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 be able to be like okay we have some convictions but hopefully when we're around someone who's a little younger maybe and who is just in that mad stage where you know yeah like okay, I'm not going to fight this person on, no. on what I, I'm just going to create some space, be that stable environment yep. so yep. that the crucible that's happening inside of them can, can take its full course. Uh, and I don't need to correct them and I don't need to correct their theology. And, you, you know, so I think, I think the nuns and the duns and those of us who are in it, but, but are, you know, maybe lamenting what it's becoming can, um, we just need to know that there is a stable space mm -hmm. where we can go a little crazy mm -hmm. and where we won't be labeled as out, you know? Yeah, right. And I think if you, if, if you, you and I, or anyone else listening to this knows that when they're a young person in their life that they really love or a, a partner or a friend questions something that feels deeply rooted to you and you feel instantly just anxious. Right, right. That's on you. Yes. 
That's yes. actually on you. Like, like there's, there is some work that needs, we all have work, inner work to continue to do, but there's something there. You need to pay attention mm-hmm. to that. You need to be curious about that. Yes. Yes. Be curious about the other person and where they're at. I, I, I want to know. Mm-hmm. Oh, tell me about, mm-hmm. help me understand. Great question. Help me understand what's causing you to have these questions. Help me understand how you got to where you're at now. But hello, mm-hmm. friend, mm-hmm. <laughs> help me understand Jesus, Holy Spirit, right. counselor, therapist, right. friend, right. why I am so deeply anxious by even just the mention that you're questioning something that I hold as a deep value. Because yes. that's that's our own stuff. And it doesn't mean that what you value doesn't matter unless you're anxious. But there's something going on there that it, it's not like, at least my understanding of scripture is like, do not be afraid, do not have anxiety, do not fear. And, and we're not talking about, you know, clinical anxiety, but the choice. It's not like, don't be anxious unless somebody questions your deeply seated values, and then it's fine. Be anxious and full of fear. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and I mean, yeah. hello, like in the political environment right now and in all these other spaces, there is not, there is not, in, as far as I can tell, permission to jump into the deep end of fear, the, the pool of yeah, fear. Like yeah. that's just, there isn't actually an example Mm-mm. of that. I was with this woman the other day and... um she was praying, you know, Mm -hmm. and in her prayer, she said kind of this like prayer that almost was like, help us see how fearful we need to be about the loss of religious liberty in our country or something like that. And I didn't know her, but I, my ears were like, (laughs) Like, wait, did you just pray that we would have fear? Did you basically just pray that we would have the thing that you know, the cheesy line goes that the Bible says 365 times not to have. Is that, is that what we, okay. Cause that's, I think what just wow. happened, but it's just, it's just a, a sign of where we're at yeah. is that there's like, it's like, it's actually okay to be afraid about some of these things. Like, right. you know, and we even need that fuel. Yeah. That's what the prayer was. That's so astonishing that it was that explicit, you know, right. but that we would need the fuel, the fuel of fear yeah. to, somehow that that would lead us to do the right thing. It's a very deep motivator. I mean, fear has got to be one of the deepest motivators that we have available to us, unfortunately. But yeah, I think in the, in the book, I think I'm quoting Greg Boyd when he uses the term salvation anxiety. Hmm. And, um, I think it was him, but just, yeah, that's what it is, right? It's this, oh no, this person's not on the right side of something. And I just want to encourage people to say, um, as a person who does really believe that there is a choice to make about whether or not we give our life to Jesus and that we surrender and we say, hey, I, Lord and Savior, right? Leader, leader, Lord, that we need to make that choice. And that choice isn't always a moment sometimes. At the same time, are we so arrogant that we think there's a line that we got to be on the right side of it? Because if so, we are all screwed. Right. Do you say screwed on this podcast? Because that's that. how, I mean, we are then, right? I, I, yeah. I am. You know, well, I don't know yeah. what to tell you. Oh, I, I know sure. I'm wrong about some stuff. I don't. Just, I just don't know what it is. Or, or that we can name that if someone else has made that decision or not yeah. in the right way or not. Yeah, it's the arrogance of rightness. Yeah. Okay, so Steph, I do want to ask you a little bit more specifically about the structure of the book because yeah. as I read through it, like there's there's a lot of different chapters and there's some mm-hmm. different sections. So how did you? Just as a way of explaining it, how did you structure your thoughts uh, in this book? Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, at my my core, I am a coach, you know? Yeah. So even as a pastor, like I really, I'm not a shepherding person. I'm not a like, let's just spend time together person. And You want to help people get from I, here I, I to I want to help people get from here to there. And if they need the person to be with them for the long periods of time, there's people whose gifting is for that. Yeah. And I, I love that about people. And so it's just not me. Right. So I'm very much a, okay, let's 
address where we are. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out what the barriers are, and then let's figure out the next steps. Yeah. And so that's really what the structure of the book is. The first first part, part one, two, and three. First part is what's going on. Hey, where are we at? Okay, we're at a spot where we're feeling anxious about this, where we're feeling stuck, where we're feeling angry, and lots of things. What are the barriers that we have? Well, we can make a long list of those, and so mm-hmm. those are there. And in that second part, there's already some ideas of how we might move through that. And then the third cha- the third uh, part is really just saying, okay, the, the long-term plan here, though, is not to get to a spot where all of our questions are answered, right, right. and hence the title, Stay Curious. It's that we get to a spot where we choose a life of, I call it passionate uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd ever used that phrase before I was writing the book, but I was trying That's to figure great. out a way to name that. Like, what am I telling people? It's not passive. No. And it's not just active uncertainty. It's it's passionate uncertainty. Like, I am choosing to deeply care or be passionate about the fact that there is always more for me to know and discover and yeah. that I won't be certain. Right. And that it's actually a better way to live and that... We, I mean, most people, right, if you had a moment right now and you said, okay, you want to know all the future certainties right now? Do you want to know them or not? Most people would say, yes, I do. And I'm like, think about it a little bit yeah, longer. Yeah. Most of us would say no. No way. We don't want to know that stuff, partly because some of it would be tough to hear. Other parts, because why would I get up tomorrow then? Mm-hmm. Really? Like we we have this weird almost like worship of the concept of certainty to the point where we claim things are certain when they're not. Oh, yeah. But goes back to fear. Yep, I, goes back to fear. And man, do you really want to live that? I don't know. I just think that if most people th- were like th- took a little bit more time to set down their phone and think about it, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that we want that for no. real. No way. Um, and that's what I mean by passion uncertainty versus fear-based uncertainty. Right. Or um, Yeah, like I'm never moving anywhere un- un- uncertainty. I'm never taking yeah, a step uncertainty. No, passionate. Yeah, no. I'm going to make some mistakes yep. in my uncertainty. I'm going to choose some things that I... Probably wouldn't choose five years from now, but exactly. that's okay. And that's why I loved using the word experiment because there, there are practices that I put in there. But the reason I think of experiments is that there's no such thing as a failed experiment except one that you don't try. Yeah. And an experiment is designed to help you learn something new. And you might have a hypothesis and the hypothesis might come out the opposite than you thought. Yeah. But that's not a failed experiment. No. That's just one that turned out differently than you thought. Right. And that's how we got Tilly Putty, for instance. <laughs> like yes, an experiment that putty. went differently than they thought, you know, but... But sometimes is that the, in your book? Did, did you? Write I think about I did. Putty I think bridge? I might have mentioned Silly Putty. Yes. But I think that's part of the part of the challenge for us yeah. is that we don't want to do experiments. We want to take strategic plans, and we want to take steps towards something. The very concept of a strategic plan means that it typically means that we know the yeah. the end destination. Yeah. And I just don't think we know it as much no. as we'd like to think. All of no. us in our little strategic plans for our churches, isn't that no. cute? No. I'm sure God's just like, oh, that's yeah, neat. Yeah, isn't yeah. that neat yeah. that they think that? <laughs> yeah, and I even wonder, like, does it even belong? I mean, certainly discernment, planning. Yeah. Uh, where is our culture at right now? Mm-hmm. And, and what are the barriers that might uh, prohibit us from living out the gospel-centered you know, uh, rea- reality that we are? On the other hand, are we open to being surprised? And I think that's where you, yeah. I love your phrase. Even if a church could, or a person, could embrace passionate uncertainty. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So that's what the third part is, is just to kind of say, I, I, I know some people might have picked up the book because they were hoping that the final part would say, and then this is what it feels like mm-hmm. to be in, you know, nirvana. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, well, that's, I, that's interesting. I mean, even that concept of like, Choosing to want nothing. Is that what mm. what we 
what we're hoping? Mm-hmm. Is that what we even maybe picture like um, eternity is? Is it just wanting nothing? Or is it having deep desires and then having them fulfilled? Yeah. Because I, I mean, I would choose that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I actually think that that's what we're, we're seeing more clearly in, in the big, the big story of God is like the, God made us to care and mm-hmm. to, to have desire and want and to, to desire to see wrong things made right. Right. Exactly. Like we, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. We want that, you know? So what if, what to, would the goal be to not want that? You know, I think of like, um, the sense of hope. Well, oh, hope is so wonderful. It feels so fuzzy. And now it's like, feels like it's mostly attached to political like <laughs> phrases or whatever you're, what do they call those things? Those taglines like, oh, okay, well, what is even, what even is it? Right. And I think if we really want to break down hope, what is it? It's longing. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes the word longing, but everybody likes the word hope. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> Wanting something that's not realized yet doesn't tip, doesn't often feel good because there's a deep gut-wrenching feeling to that. But but I'm as I'm hearing you talk, what I'm I, I immediately thought, well, what's sort of the antonym of hope? And it mm-hmm. might be cynicism, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which we, we're all cynical of some things. We probably sh- should be. But I think a hopeful person has learned mm-hmm. to stay innocent enough to believe that something good may turn out of this yeah. mess. Yep. Or yep. curious enough to where, okay, maybe the same old thing won't keep happening. Yeah, right. I, I, I think that's, and I think curiosity breeds that. Yeah. I think curiosity breeds hope. Because even like, let's let's say, I mean, you've been married for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And, and I've shared this so many times with so many people, but Paulo Coelho, uh, author of the, the Alchemist, he's been married over 30 years. And someone asked him, how do you stay married to the same woman for 30 years? And he goes, oh, I haven't. Yeah. You know, yes, I've been married to the same person, for, yeah. but she's been a different person yeah. many times. Yeah. And I think that that means that he has stayed curious. Totally. You know? I agree. And if we want that in a marriage relationship, don't we want that in a relationship with God? Oh, yes. That like, oh, I could never understand. I mean, I'll tell you what, I've only been married for two years, but my husband is a strange person and I will <laughs> never understand that man. Yes. Like there is not enough years of life to fully understand what makes him who he is. Yeah. And I'm sure he feels the same way about me. And so I want, but I want to, I love him. So I want to understand yeah. everything I can about him, but I have to deal with the fact that I'll never fully understand him. Yeah. And so I want to know the stories about his life and his backstory. Mm-hmm. And I think similarly, like as we wrestle through something as terrible and wonderful as the Bible, like it's, it's, oh, I right. saw a sign that said the Bible is terrible at a church once. And I was like, it is, it's kind of terrible. For sure it it's is. so hard, but it's like, that's how I feel a little bit about my husband's family telling me some of the stories of his life. I'm like, this is terrible, right. but it's part of what made him who he is and helps me understand. And I have to reframe how I understand those stories and I wasn't there. Right. So that's weird. Right. It's like, well, yeah, but I love him. So I'm never going to stop trying to understand right. how those stories made him who he is. Right. And wait, that story doesn't make sense with who I know him to be. Well, then I need to keep trying to figure yes, it out. Yes. Then I, then I'm not done knowing about this and, and discovering it and I'll never be done. So it's, it's, it would be weird to want that in a relationship with a person. So it's interesting how we feel that desire to want that in our relationship with God, I think. Right, right, right. Well, I think, I think part of, okay, so I have, I have two more questions. I want to make sure we get to them, but I do want to comment on that. I think part of, especially those of us that are in Protestant, the Protestant tradition, uh, the reform, the reformer tradition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that we, we believe that so much that God is unchanging Yeah, that 
we take that to mean that our relationship should be unchanging. And that's implicit. I don't think we would ever say that out loud. Right. But I've met with too many people. Right. Who, it's kind of the air we're breathing. Yeah. Without or knowing. They come to me and they say, oh my gosh, I think I've lost my faith. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Well, what used to work doesn't work anymore. The prayers I, I used to pray don't, you know, and, and what I want to say is, oh my gosh, you've just graduated. Like we should celebrate right yeah. now. Like you are actually passing into a different mode yeah, of faith. Passing through. And God doesn't change. But if God is infinite, then we will get to know God. Yeah. In a, there, there, there's always more to know. And God will always lead us into new understandings of who God is and how yeah. to experience God. Because otherwise we are so tempted to worship, and this is such a cliche, but the way that we worship God. Right. Versus God. Yeah. And Jesus said, I'm making all things new. I'm yes. He didn't say I'm making all new things. Right. So all things new. That's what's happening all the time. You know, and I I think that's about a future reality. I think it's about the current reality. We're we're being made new. Yeah. And the world is being remade and and made new. But there is a sense of um I think a sense of centeredness you can have in the fact that God doesn't change, but but that's as your center doesn't mean that you're not, you know, spinning circles around that center and, yeah. you know, coming to a place. I, th- I think it is often very cyclical and like we're, oh, yeah. but we're going deeper and deeper mm-hmm. and deeper or expanding or however you want to talk about it. But absolutely. So it's, it's an opportunity. So th- that's exactly it. When, if people were to ask me, are you afraid that the people that you lead are going to doubt or question their faith? And I'm, I want to say, well, I don't want to be afraid of anything, but if I am going to be honest with you, I'm more afraid that they're not going right. to. Right. Exactly. Because I actually think... I don't want to lead the people, like you said earlier, I don't want to lead the people that just nod their heads mm-mm, at me. Mm-mm. I want people to look at me like my, many of my congregation does when I'm preaching. They look at me kind of like, maybe, <laughs> you know, and I, and I get that there's some cynicism we got to yeah, deal with. And yeah. they're, they're a lot like their pastor who leans on, leads towards cynicism like I do. But I'd rather people were like, let's wrestle through this. Mm-hmm. Let's ask some questions mm-hmm. because not only do I, have I seen it, but I've also seen some statistics saying those folks have a different, they'll, they'll suggest that they have a more vibrant, mm-hmm. deep experience of their life of faith. They might have to have a pretty big shift from what they grew up with, et cetera. But most of those people don't actually lose it altogether. Right. Most of those folks come to a spot of saying, wow, I'm in a different place, but I have returned to the same God. Mm-hmm. I just understand this God very differently. For sure. Okay. I said two more questions and um, I, I want to ask about questioning when it feels like personal Mm. one-on-one tense like kind of questioning like staying curious but when you get in someone's face and sort of have to ask the hard question because i've seen you i've seen you do this in public settings where you're calm as a cucumber and you are just (laughs) questioning someone's that they just said, like someone said, like, like this class we were oh, in. Oh, yeah. I was like, when, when was that? And yeah. I said, oh, yeah, I yeah. remember this now. And I'm not, it doesn't matter what the situation was, but but a professor made this pretty bold statement. And then you kind of raised your hand and said, no, actually, I was with those people that you're talking about. And that's, that's really not how that's that. Not, that's not a good explanation. Right. And um, and then the professor sort of responded a little defensively and, and yeah. a little patronizingly, actually. Yeah. But you weren't having it. And you just no. kind of kept coming back. <laughs> and I remember talking to you after that and kind of going like, how are you right now? And then you, not even knowing what I was talking about, kind of like you had already mm-hmm. so moved on. <laughs> but yeah. I told you, like, for for me, if I would have yeah. done that, even if... And I feel like I'm. I can share my thoughts. I'm. I'm pretty uninhibited most of the time, 
But there's something, if I had done that, I, I would be like shaking. I would be like, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> Question uh, this authoritative Yeah, person like what, what is everybody. he going to say afterwards? <laughs> so how do we, like, let's say you and I, for example, given that dynamic, had to have one of those conversations. Mm-hmm. How do you coach people in holding a tough pushback without taking it super seriously or on the other side, giving a tough pushback without pushing someone all the way down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, sometimes I do fail at that. So (laughs) sometimes I think, man, I really should have pushed them more. And other times I think, probably was a little too far. But I I bet you you have good, you have good coaching for sort of how to, on both sides, like how to receive something without taking it too personally, how to say something strong enough and how to maybe dial it back if you're going to be a little too strong. Yeah, I think I actually think the concept of curiosity helps them a lot in this yeah, 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 because yeah. Um, there is a difference between saying, why do you think that? And mm-hmm. could you help me understand how you got to this conclusion? Those are just different postures, too. Um, but I think in a lot of these settings, there's for, for me, part of it's that part of the answer to the question is my personality to not I'm an Enneagram 8 you know so part of my personality is that it doesn't get me too riled up and what other people would would be crushing to them is not the same for me but in all honesty there's also the fact that I think first and feel second so you might have been like how's that and I'm like I'm fine and then later I'm like "Ooh, that was not what I you know so there could have been like a later kind of it comes later where I reevaluate and I think hmm and and in that instance for instance I did go end up talking to that professor and uh just kind of saying like hey here's where I was coming from you know, and they didn't, they still didn't, <laughs> they still didn't acknowledge it, but at least I did what I felt like I needed to do to say, hey, was that too far? You yeah, know? Yeah. And I think, uh, and they didn't, and they said they didn't. They've said that we just, we have to agree to disagree, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in that way. But yeah, I think that there's just a constant, it's a constant, I often think of it as like a road with two ditches. And yeah, the, yeah. to try to stay on the road is really hard. Mm-hmm. But you're if you overcorrect, off. you're yeah. going to slide off. Yeah. And so when you're in the ditch, I kind of go, how did I get here? Yeah. And how do I try not to do that okay. again? Yep. Whether it's with my husband or with my friends or with people that I'm leading. Like, how did I get to the spot where that is? And and I have seen in my life a lot of growth in that from when I was a young leader. Got it. And I didn't like, oh, I don't know how you and I both got in this ditch. I don't know how we got here. Mm-hmm. It was your fault maybe. And then I realized, <laughs> uh, oh, I was driving the car. Yeah, so um, yeah. that's been a growing okay. edge. But it is one of those things where having that kind of prophetic voice coupled with a stronger, like this kind of, I like, I hope to think of it as like tough skin, but a soft heart, um, that really does help. You yeah. know, it yeah. helps to have that calling. If you have that calling, it helps to be able to to have the the, the inner strength to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of why I know it is my calling to often to say, hey, I, I'm, in my opinion, that's wrong. Right. And I'm going to say it. I'm not yeah. going to shrink back from that. And I don't really care if you like me afterwards. I don't. Like, yeah. I don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I just, I can't. Yeah. I, it's not that I don't care what people think at all or anything, but um, not all opinions are created equal. And I frankly don't care what you think. I don't think it's appropriate what you're saying. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to say something because there's other people in the room that this affects. Got it. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> almost always it's about other people, though. It's like uh, if this perspective. Well, that's the eight. Yep, the that's the that protection, yep, that yep. sense of justice, and in that instance, I was thinking, man, if everybody walks out of here and thinks this is a great opportunity to do what this person's talking about, they're going to be sorely disappointed. Right. It's going to be very detrimental to them, and they're going to feel 
even more angsty and bewildered about ministry because it was all ministry people. Right. And we're already all there. So yeah, <laughs> like we don't yeah. need any more reasons to be disillusioned by this. Yeah. So I just felt like this is not helpful, what's being said. And it's inaccurate and not helpful. Yeah. That's a combination that's going to almost always make me mm-hmm. speak truth into mm-hmm. what I, at, at least my truth into that. Well, I think even, um, thank you so much for all of that. Would it also, you clarified it, but I sort of want to put a, underlying to the listeners like if you know the Enneagram and if you're around an Enneagram 8 and you see them getting big mm-hmm. I, I like you you clarified that because I have lots of eight friends yes for some reason I've been drawn to eights my whole life mm. um, eights typically when they get big they're fighting for someone else yeah that that is being trampled on or might be trampled on later yep. it's typically not about them yeah it's typically about someone else and if it is about us it's about like seven-year-old me or right, like fifteen-year-old right. me. It's exactly. actually not about me now. It's sure. about you're protecting. Your I'm seven-year-old protecting you. my seven-year-old me and yeah. what felt unfair and what uh-huh. wasn't right, and you know those kinds of things. And that's something I talk about with my therapist, for instance. Yeah. But it is helpful to say that it's not that I'm like so self-protective in this moment as an adult. It's like that stuff. I can't separate the thoughts of like, hey, yeah, what you're saying right now. I mean, I, I've been in situations where genuinely what someone was saying to me did not bother me, but I could not help but think who was going to sit in that chair next. Uh-huh. And I just was like, no, yeah, you, can't, <laughs> you cannot you, you talk can't like that. saying that. Yeah. yeah, you cannot talk like that. Well, I'm like, no, because this next person coming in here, that's going to totally derail them. Uh-huh. And just because I'm not getting derailed doesn't make it okay that you said right. that or that you're acting this way. Right. And that's that was totally about someone else because I'm kind of like, well, if this was just me, I'd say, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. see you never. But that's not... That's not the reality we live in. It's yeah. the, this affects other people, and yeah. I can't um, can't not think about that. That's right. like a everyday part of my life. Well, I think that's why we need eights, you know. And sometimes, and and if you don't know the enneagram, the eight is basically the challenger. The eight is the is the the, the eight's going to fight for justice when the eight's going to see mm-hmm. when un- injustice is being done. The eight is going to get in your face. The eight is not afraid in general to push and yeah. get big yep and when they've done their work they can they they know how to rein in their own like yeah. their own um when there is some toxicity they can they can rein in the bigness and they learn how to to name what happened like even sometimes like i was with talking to my husband the other day and and i got angry in the conversation mm-hmm. and within minutes i said i'm not angry i'm sad uh-huh. And he was like, okay, you know. You sound angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah I sound angry. And it's yeah. like, I said, it's totally coming not. out of angry at, yeah. as anger right yeah. now. But I can tell you right now the iceberg uh-huh. situation. But I didn't used to be able to to right. say that until right. hours later, days later, maybe right. never. And so noticing that part of that integration for me is not that I can hold back all the time some mm-hmm. of the things that maybe I would say are like, that was inappropriate. Yeah. But I can name it quicker. I can rectify it quicker. I can say, hey. I actually need you to to experience me right now as sad because I know I just sounded angry, but I'm sad, and here's why. Yeah, that's a new. Those are those are growing skills that mm-hmm. I hope can continue, and for me or anybody kind of like me. Yeah. Oh, this is so good, Steph. I've loved it uh, as always. Talking to you is so engaging for me. I love it too. It's so fun. Um, okay, so this book, "Stay Curious: How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith." How can we get a hold of it and how can we get in touch with you for all your other work? Your yeah. coaching, your leadership, your preaching, all that stuff. Yeah. My kind of hub online is pastorsteph.com and and all on all the things and pastor stuff. 
Um, the Twitter, the Twitter, Instagram, the Instagram. Facebook. Yeah, this adorable LinkedIn. This adorable woman <laughs> in I think Boston was had the Twitter pastor stuff and had never tweeted. Oh. And I got a hold of her and was like, "Hi, could you please?" <laughs> yeah, but that was really lovely. Um, yeah, but just for the clarity, so people can find me there. Um, yeah, the book is for sale wherever books are sold, and um, it is hardcover, like you suggested, and that's exciting, but also daunting. And um, I do have a website for the book where I've got some kind of extra features and things that people can connect with. I'm going to be adding more and more there. And it's just staycuriousmedia.com. And it's media because there's a podcast that's going to be coming out, maybe is already out by the time you're listening to this. Um, and then some other PDFs and just things for people that would be resources for them. Yeah. Um, once again, back to full circle, I just want to resource people yeah. and give people tools. And so... I really believe the book is the main one, but there's some other things that people can get a hold of there for free. So that's staycuriousmedia.com, and that's where you can find all that stuff. So pastorsteph.com, pastorsteph on all the socials, staycuriousmedia.com. I'll Mm -hmm. put all that on the show notes, cweens.com slash show notes. Just search for Steph Williams O'Brien on the podcast. Yeah. Um, And... um, Oh man, there was well, one. and the and then of course lead stories with Joe. Right, lead stories um, with Joe. If you have not been influenced by Joe Saxton, it's time. She is an incredible Nigerian British woman who um, sounds interesting, even if the content's <laughs> not that interesting. So that's a good Joe reason to great. listen to the lead stories podcast, but also just to connect with her and yeah. her work. She's just fantastic, and I'm super honored to yeah. host a podcast with her. So that's lead stories wherever you get podcasts. Yep. And that'll be on the show notes as well. And I just want to say, Steph, as a writer, is very uh, accessible, very tangible. Really, it, this book is filled with narrative stories. Uh, she writes with a pastor's heart, but the kind of pastor you wish you had. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> um, and so um, sometimes we can think like this book on doubting and questioning is going to be very heady or super mm-hmm. theological. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, it's certainly soaked with good, yeah, good theology. Yeah, it's rooted in that, but yeah. But it's not, it, it is a tangible, accessible book. It's not an academic book. It's, yeah, a, it's very I appreciate accessible. That. And I really tried not to use too many words that would feel completely outside for people who come from different Christian traditions yeah. or even from outside of Christianity. I, I tried to explain some of those kind of buzzwords too and and use normal language as much as possible. So yeah. that was my hope. So hopefully <laughs> people can access yeah. that. But I do want to say, Steve, I told you this right before we recorded, but I, I really don't know for sure if I'd be an mm. author if it wasn't for you because mm. you listened to my text message or my email or something that just said, hey, I know you write blogs and I heard you have a book coming out. This is before your first book came out. Yeah. Would you sit down and talk with me about it? And now that people are asking me that and I recognize how I actually personally don't think I have that great of advice for, for them, <laughs> but you sat down with me at Maeve's Coffee Shop yeah. and I gave me that. the best advice that I ever got about writing, which was just write and write a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what you said. Just keep writing. Just write and write a lot. And if I wouldn't have started doing that in, what, 2012, I don't think we'd be sitting here talking about this book for sure because I needed that kind of, hey, listen, there's actually not any perfect formula here. Yeah. You just need to start doing this more and more. And yeah. I was ready. And like we said, you don't always need permission, but sometimes you just kind of do. And I felt yeah. like you gave me the permission to go from being a pastor to mm-hmm. a pastor who writes. So. They, I appreciate well, that. My pleasure, hundred percent. And I've loved our friendship that developed. Um, that was before that, but even has mostly after since. that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that would that that's the advice that I would still give. Yeah, me too. <laughs> for two reasons: one, you have to you have to prove to yourself that you have the stamina. Yeah. To write that much. Right. Because it's really a ton. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know what the, like, if you write a 200 page book, how many hours that you end up oh, spending, gosh, yeah. but it's hundreds and hundreds. And number two, you have to know that at least on some level, you enjoy it. Like, you know, some people enjoy it more than others, but, um, you know, so anyway. Even as an extrovert, I yeah. found like a spot where that's just felt really life-giving Yeah. as long as I wasn't alone too long. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, for me, like when I go up to the cabin for yeah. three or four days, I'm like, Heaven. I don't talk to anyone. And it's just, <laughs> so I, I think that's why probably if someone slid the the money across the yeah. table, I, I might, I, well, I a say pseudo, that though, a pseudo hermit. I say that. And then in three months I would be bored out of my mind. So I know probably, that yeah. I, I need both. I need, yeah. um, I'm yeah, just, we're both like yeah. that in that way. Yeah. Well, thank well, you, Steph. I, thanks I love for it. having me. I, this is so fun. I always love talking to you, and I like when we record what we talk about sometimes, too. Ah, <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks, Steph. All right. Bye. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.